Justin. And I'm Blake. And this is the How Do You Figure podcast. Blake, who is our guest this week? Justin, we are joined once again by Rocom, who has graced us with his presence many times before and is doing so again. Thank you so much for coming back on. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm I'm overwhelmed uh, a ton. Uh, I just launched, relaunched the website uh, for Rocom Toys, and it's good. It's been so busy. Like I've been figuring out how to ship stuff like more often now. With vinyl toys, it was so much more like light. It's like you get a couple orders here and there, but this is the first time there's like this huge influx, and it's exciting, but it's a lot to deal with too. So it's good. Uh, before we get into your toy line, the Mighty Maniacs, uh, have you bought any toys or gotten any toys this week? Um, I've been trying to. I mean, I, I feel like we all say this. We're like, oh, I'm trying to cut down and not get stuff. Like, but every every few, few days or so, I'm sure you guys have this where a box shows up and it's something you forgot you you got or whatever. So, I have one here, and just like most of us, I'm sure uh, a lot of us don't even know what we ordered. So. I think I know what this one is, um, but we may get surprised. This is the only thing I have, though. I've been looking at, like, Masters of the Universe Origins stuff, um, but nothing's really come out. But this is a, this is what I got recently. It's, um, and I don't even collect this line, really, but it's the McFarlane uh, Bat Cycle from the White Knight series for the comic books. Um right. It's it's the cycle from that comic book, and um, it's probably so hard to see with the reflections in the window. But <laughs> the design on this thing is so rad. With you not really collecting that line, what drew you to pick that up? Um, I think it's something we rarely see is a is a twelfth scale um, vehicle. You know, I think it's so because six inch figures are huge. Like you know, I think for Star Wars Black Series, they did a Tie Fighter, and it was you know no one could probably fit that in their trunk of their car um and so seeing something for that scale was was really cool because also the design of it it's not like it has a bat symbol all over it's more of just like this really cool futuristic motorcycle so i think it would be fun to like throw snake eyes on there or, or any figure really so um, yeah I, I highly doubt anyone's going to come in and know that that is a bad mobile unless they specifically know or read that yeah, read that comic or or they know the McFarlane line really well. And it's funny, the I think I own one McFarlane Batman figure and it's the the Hellbat only because my friend Patrick drew that that line or that story for Batman. So that was his character design. So I'm like, oh shit. Like I want to own this toy that my buddy like helped design. Definitely. But putting, you know, an armored Batman onto a, a bat cycle is just silly, I think so. Yeah, I, I think that might push me to get my first like McFarlane Batman figure, just to have something to throw on there. But Justin, did you get anything this week? I did. I had a. Uh, I was out in Las Vegas, and I was supposed to go from Vegas to San Diego, but I decided that I would just go home to LA instead. And I had a very fruitful drive from las vegas to los angeles uh i went to roughly eight walmarts six targets um i ran out of time it hit 10 p.m all the stores closed unfortunately so i ran out of time but i did very well 
uh, on this run, going to these weird, far out of the play, far out of the way WalMarts and Targets, and I ended up uh, running into several WWE chase figures that I wasn't like out there looking for. Uh, I wouldn't have gone searching for these, but uh, I was very happy to find them. And I probably won't keep them. I'm probably going to use them for trade fodder uh, for other WWE stuff I'm looking for. But I found the Chase uh, Alistair Black at a Walmart. Uh, The Chase version has detail that the regular version doesn't. This one I actually, I'm probably going to keep now that I think about it. (laughs) Uh, It'll be his last WWE figure because he's now in AEW. Um, just a great looking figure. I'm glad I found that. And then this one I'm not going to keep, but it's the Chase version of Triple H in his uh, shiny red pants. The regular version has the purplish blue. Uh, I found this at, a, at another Walmart. Um, Walmart still $15.95 for their elites. Uh, my local Target now sells elites for twenty four ninety nine. So Walmart almost a full ten dollars cheaper on elites. Um, unfortunately, we have two WalMarts here in LA. They never have them. Uh, so I picked up just a bunch of like random regular elites, like this uh, Ref Sid, because it like at fifteen. Bucks, like they're not making a profit selling them. Uh, it's weird. It's weird that Walmart still sells them that cheap. Now, is what do they call the line that is in the same scale but it doesn't have the ab crunch? Uh, that is called. Well, it used to be called basic, oh. but they've been trying to like steer away from that term, right? Uh, so they've just been calling it like the regular line. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, is what it was called. Yeah, um, and those but, are nine bucks. So another five bucks for all that articulation. Yeah, it's, it's it's crazy to me that they continue to put out because I saw a cane figure in like the tank top style version that was a basic figure at Target the other day, and um, it was just interesting to me that it's figures still come out like that, like. Do you really want a cane figure that's a prop like that? I guess you do for him. You know, it works. Just to you, know, some, best, you know, every now and then a figure comes along where I prefer it doesn't have the ab yeah. crunch. Like it just looks nicer <laughs> without that chop out. Yeah. Like I bought the, uh, I don't have it handy, but I bought the fiend uh, basic uh, because I, it just, to me, it looked more like the fiend without having the app cut out. Right, right. Um, so yeah, it does, just, it does kill a lot of detail. Doing I that. also know a lot of people that'll buy those basic bodies and then pop the elite heads on them as oh. well. You get oh. a lot of like part swapping for people to make their like favorite version of whatever wrestler. That That's pretty cool because I feel like elites often do come with extra heads. So like, a basic figure is a great way to almost have a stand for that head, but like have it be a full new figure. That is very, very true. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Blake, did you get any toys this week? 
I did, Justin. I got uh, the Kickstarter fulfillment that Rocom has been working on for the Mighty Maniacs figure. I got all six of my little guys, a bunch of cards, a new pen, and it's all fantastic. I have loved this since the jump when it launched. This has scratched just about every 80s and 90s itch I can think of. The colors are all great. I'm going to show probably my favorite colorway, which was the Kickstarter exclusive, I believe, for it, if I remember right. It's a, it's a hot pink and very vibrant blue werewolf. And when I opened these up, that was definitely the first thing that jumped out at me as well. I just feel like you find so many in a like post 2000s world of like muted colors. Like I, I, the Star Wars, I feel like I've talked about this before. The Black Series Star Wars, like yeah, it's a lot of brown robes. Even like the Marvel Legends now kind of like drain comic book colors out and I feel like it gets very muted. So when something pops like that, it like just grabs my attention. As it feels like old Nerf 90s Super Nintendo characters, these like, ways that it just exploded off of whatever medium it was in and it's something that i really miss i think a lot about like when the xbox 360 and ps3 came out and everyone's complaint was we have all this tech now to make all these drab brown and gray worlds like no one's really doing the nintendo colorful hyrule it's all fallout 3 this is like back to that right like even the johnny tombstone one has these bright pink glasses and these like green and pink details on his jetpack and even that like it stands out more than anything else i've seen i think they're great <laughs> i would ask uh Rokum how you feel but you made them so i'm assuming you love them yeah <laughs> it's, if anything them. it's just good to hear because <laughs> I, I feel uh that's uh that's definitely what i wanted out of the line um in terms of colors, like I think of throwbacks like Battle Beasts and not not necessarily Muscles, but, you know, Muscles eventually did come out in these kind of bright blues and reds and different colors. But having all your, your mini figures, you know, these things are three inches tall. And like, I just always imagine like after you have a bunch, how can they look great together? And like just to having that rainbow element of neons and bright purples and reds and blues, like the more it can vary, it, it gives each figure a personality and like um, a presence to it. And so when you put them together, you really feel like you've collected something. Like um, I think it's so interesting. I never thought about that, Blake, but how um, having like, let's say a Marvel movie figure line, your, your shelf's just going to be grays, blacks, and browns. And like, even when the reds and blues are there, you're right. They're, they're like muted and being like, Oh, this is from the real world. You know? <laughs> There's a there's a very uh, famous incident in the toy world where when the Green Lantern movie came out, uh, every figure, every packaging, everything was just black and green. And when you walked into that toy aisle, it was just you just saw black and green. There was nothing to decipher one thing from the other. It just all looked like the same toy over and over and over again. And some people think that was a factor in the downfall of that line mixed with, you know, the horrible movie. But, um, yeah, you want colors. Usually you want to be like, what am I missing? And it, it's, you know, what's funny as I've been packaging these toys, like from orders, 
and I visually look at the boxes when I'm throwing them in. I'm like, there's the black one. There's the clear purple. Here's the clear like orange or whatever. Visually, as I'm doing this, I could see how someone's collections like fully visually there instead of, you know, it's rare. Did I put the the fish stick figure in there? It's like, yeah, you did. There's a bright neon green yeah. <laughs> blob in the box. Like, um, and I think recently there's a, there's an Instagram user that's been just taking amazing photos of this stuff. That's another thing. Like as people get their collections, the photos I'm seeing are just so cool to look at, like the builds people are doing. Um, but there's guy, a guy that goes by St. Sin. It's S A I N T S Y N I think on Instagram. And he took a, like an overhead photo of what he has a bunch of them and he grouped them all together. Um, and you really get, the feel of like wow like this is what a collection of this looks like and it, it was cool to see it because i hadn't done that with my own figures yet um and it really you look at it and it looks like an old 90s uh collection you know like turtles playmates is one of those things that looked great on a shelf because they had those bright neon colors and like everything was so unique and cool looking so um it's of all the great praise I've been getting, what's actually funny is like the one or two people that had complaints and seeing what those complaints were. Uh, I think uh, one, the first one I got was, um, why are these guys bigger than the other Glouse line I collect? Like they, they collect a smaller line of figures and they were essentially asking like, why didn't you make your figures these figures? And it's like- it's and I can understand it's like you already collect this thing, you want to have extra parts for that thing. Um, which it can still work that way. They just look freakish, you know, like it'll be like a giant head on a smaller body or something. Uh so I understand that, but at the same time, I think it's funny for someone to imagine a new toy line is gonna just be something else. Um actually now that I think about it, that's such a common complaint with um 12 scale figures. And it's something that I think is annoying as well. Why can't Marvel and DC just make the same scales so that you could have all your superhero shit like on the same shelf and like work? I mean, even within the same lines, sometimes you're not oh, getting there's, yeah, bad scales. Right, right. So I want to go back and pick up where we left off the last time you were on the podcast, because the last time you were on, which I think was about a year ago, um, you were just launching the Kickstarter campaign for these toys. Right. I don't think it had even launched it. I think we talked about them before. Wait, or did they launch yet? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think we recorded before the launch. Okay. I think it came out during the launch. During it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That 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 sounds more familiar because I feel like it came out during the launch and people that had just seen the Kickstarter got to listen to the episode and whatnot. Um, and then you, you funded very quickly. Right. I think it was less than 20, it was like 14 hours or something, you know, and I was concerned about even hitting that at all. And like within the first day, yeah, we hit that mark and it was like $25,000 that we needed to at least have this original Johnny tombstone and the, the fish stick fire face mold done. And that's all I was going to plan for. Like we have those. And then if we can, then maybe we get to the death Jaguar head and the ax, like some extra parts we could throw in, you know? Um, so and I think you, that followed the day after. Did you have, you had all these stretch goals planned out already beforehand. 
I had I had ideas of stretch goals. Like the only thing I had, I'm like, if this does well, I have to have something ready. And I was working on the slasher line, which was um, slap shot, uh, the barbecue butcher, and um, who's the third? The woodsman. Um, and so I had these three characters lined up, which was one extra mold. It would, could be a new like kind of like works workman's jumpsuit type mold with bare feet that could be like reminiscent of like uh, a horror slasher. And it wasn't really completely sculpted. It was just like sketches. And then when we funded on that first day, I was like, Oh shit, I need to make this stuff because we're so much more on track to getting things made. And so it, what's funny is as the Kickstarter was going, I couldn't sit back and just like watch it work. I had to be like, all right, let's develop this line now because all we had was Johnny Tombstone and we had like a couple of monsters from that monster mold. Um, so during that whole month of funding, I was working with the sculptor to um, figure out like, hey, how do what are these slashers going to look like? What's the final heads on them? And it had gone through a few things like the slasher heads were really hard to like pick what's going to be this iconic three character thing I can do. So the hockey mask was always something we wanted, you know? Um, and then there was, uh, you know, just the classic like woodsman hero kind of, which everyone looks at and they're like, Oh, that's Ash Williams from evil dead, you know, <laughs> but this like Bruce Campbell hero type person, uh, which I, what I really wanted to do when I did that was like, when you look at the Michael Myers um, mask from Halloween, it was originally a Captain Kirk Halloween mask that they spray painted white. And I love that idea that, wow, something that's meant to be so humanoid and, and real looks so fucked up and scary when it's just spray painted over. Yeah. And I was so happy with the taking this woodsman regular hero dude's head. I made it all white and, and the black hair and it looks so much like a Halloween mask. Huh. Um, so getting that diversity out of, or that, that kind of um, duality just out of that one sculpt, it was, I was excited. And then the third one was really hard to figure out. You know, I had like a, a miner's helmet, like um, from, from an old horror classic called my bloody Valentine. Like I had just a ski mask that kind of was reminiscent of that movie. Um, what was Jordan Peele's follow-up to get out? Oh Yeah. Uh, uh yeah, like I really, I really love the younger kid in that that has just kind of that, that cowl mask. Um, but even then, I was like, you know, because I was thinking, oh, that's just like classic robber slasher type thing. But it just wasn't iconic enough, and so um, we ended up with with the kind of like ghoulish face that that ended up being kind of a an homage to uh, Texas Chainsaw. Um, but what's funny is I've been seeing the comments pop up of what people keep seeing in that head sculpt. And I'm not going to say it, but they've figured it out because that, that character, the barbecue butcher was supposed to be something completely different. And in wave two, we're going to see what that is. Um, a lot of people already know, but I can't wait to show it off. It's going to, it should be here around like October Halloween and that's just the perfect time to release it. So um, I'm hyped for that. So you kept working. Th How long was the uh, Kickstarter campaign? Kickstarter is just 30 days. So uh, that's another fun thing. You're right. It was about a year because um, we launched October 1st and we, we did it so that midnight of Halloween is when it would end just to have this fun, like vibe of this, this scary spooky toy line can end like on Halloween. And so 
It was 30 days of funding. Um, we unlocked a total of five figure molds where I only had two planned. So I had to come up with this, like the slashers ones were there. Then I had to come up with these brawlers that were kind of a, um, a tribute to double dragon and street fighter. And just like this beat em up nineties video game thing. Cause I feel like all the figures had good horror monster stuff going, but the video game side of things wasn't pushed as hard. So the brawlers was the first time you really get a nice like throwback uh, video game thing going. And then so your, goal, your goal was 25,000. Right. Where did you end up? We ended at $79,000, which is insane. You know, it's uh, well, well over triple what we asked for. And I think one thing that's funny is when people see that they always think like they needed 25 and they got 79 this dude gets to keep 50 K in his pocket. And it's like all that money is what needs to be spent to make all those things we unlocked. So like it's never in pocket. It's just to make more cool shit. So um, that covered the molds for five figures when I only had two planned. And then the last one being the robot, which was completely like, I, I had told the, the glass creator, Matt, um, that I'd always thought a robot would be really fun to have just because I'm a big fan of robots. As you guys know, Transformers and uh, even Robotech, all that stuff. I love, I love collecting robots. And so I thought eventually, you know, one day doing a robot for Mighty Maniacs would be great. And as this campaign was just skyrocketing, Matt was like, dude, put the robot up. Like, <laughs> let's just make this happen. And so I, I was super weary of it because I was just like, I haven't thought about it. I don't know if I want the parts to come apart and turn into vehicles. Like I was thinking way out there. And once I brought myself back to being like, just keep in line with what you've been doing. You have this silhouette of a figure. What would that look mm -hmm. like as a robot? And um, so I did a, a sketch that I put up for the Kickstarter. And this was in the final, gosh, like 48 hours where people got to buy this thing. So a lot of people didn't check the Kickstarter and missed out on it. And they can buy it right now. You can go to mightymaniacs.com and see it. There's a few left. Um, but for the most part, that's how rushed this thing was. Like even people that were part of the campaign didn't even know it came out. <laughs> um, and so I put up a sketch and what's cool to see the figure out now, you go back to the Kickstarter page and you look at my initial sketch so many little details and design things changed, but overall the still the same feel is there. But um, that was, that probably put on the most pressure for the campaign because it's my toy line, it's robots. And like, I just wanted to knock it out the park, you know, but luckily having such a reverence for that stuff, I already knew the visuals and shapes of everything. So I just kept sketching like until I got it. So even when the campaign ended, I couldn't relax. I just kept designing. Um, but yes, the that, that was going to be my next question. Like, it's November 1st. The campaign's over. Right. You have hit these tiers that you didn't think you would hit. What is the, how do you then go from the campaign being funded to getting the figures to people? Right, right. How, how does, right, because I essentially put, took on all these extra projects along the way, because I had one project in mind that's ready to go, and then I had three more develop, slashers, brawlers, and robots. So what's cool is uh, having Matt Dowdy there the whole way, that's, um, that's the guy that created the, the Glios um, joint system. He 
was always with me every step of the way. Like as I design, he looks at everything because he's been doing this shit for like, God, 13 plus years, probably more. Um, so he catches things that I may not. Um, and it's just good to have another designer, like look at stuff. So after I got this funding, we just had to do it in waves. So like since Johnny Tombstone, Fireface, Fishstick, all that stuff was ready to go. We, we paid for the molds, put that stuff into production. And then as that stuff's being worked on, it became phases. Like that's phase one. Then I started working on phase two, which would be slashers and brawlers, getting those fine tuned and sculpts, like making sure all the size and scales are right. Then sending that in and paying for those molds. So my year essentially got split up into these like two to three month capsules of where um, I was focused on perfecting and designing things we unlocked, getting them into production, um, checking like the test pulls and all that. And it's, it was just like, it was fairly organized. It was just busy nonstop. Like it never, it never ended essentially, you know? Um, but it's good because like it's, it was organized. It kept me another thing. This was October of, uh, of 2020. So uh, like, where you want to be busy. focused on something. Yeah. Doing yes. anything. <laughs> and, uh, honestly, I think this was also part of the, the campaign's success everyone's stuck at home and we get, we don't have shit to do. Like everyone feels bad because they're not working or like we're spending so much money doing online shopping. So the campaign was just like, everyone's in their phones and everyone's looking for something to like do or root for. Or, and I, I feel like the community at that time just like tapped in and it was, it was perfect. Like everyone, that's another thing. The community is super nice. Like people that are collecting this stuff, like, so many nice things to say. Um, super supportive. Like it's been a great experience. Um, and, and it's, it's my first time like really pushing Rocom toys to where I feel like this is something that can self-sustain itself. You know, I can order new waves of these things in new colors and there's going to be an audience to buy them and collect them. And the hope is for that to just grow and, and get bigger. You know, uh, we're starting, we're starting off with a good base. It's, it's not a base where things are going to sell out immediately, which is nice. People can relax and like buy the stuff they're missing. But the hope is for eventually like, you know, on a, on a character or figure launch, we just have these instant sellouts that are just like the fan base just buys them up, you know? Um, so what was it like when you got the first, like I'm assuming you got like samples before you got anything right. else. What was what was it like to actually get these toys for the first time and have these toys that you designed? That it's it's funny because I am constantly looking at 3D printed stuff, right? I have resin prototypes. I'm printing, testing joints and like looking at the shapes of things and, and focused on but it's so weird when you, so what you first get after a mold is made at the factory, they do something called a test shot. And a test shot is the first time they throw PVC plastic into the mold, get a figure. And you don't know what plastic you're getting. It's whatever they have at the factory at the time. So you don't know the color of the figure. It comes to your house and you open it. And dude, it is insane. The feeling of like getting that thing in plastic playable and ready to go. It's not painted or anything. It's a single color. But it's insane, dude. The feeling like th it's this weird rush of just like, holy shit, like 
this is a toy. Like it's a toy that feels like something I bought when I was a kid. Like um, it's, yeah, it's indescribable, man. It was, it was so cool. And then even after that, you know, it may not be right. Maybe some of the joints are misplaced by like a tiny fraction of a millimeter and it makes something look off and you tell them to fix it. So you get another one and you, you do that until you get it right. It takes about three or four tries to really make sure the figure's right. But then the next phase is you get the painted sample, which is what it's going to really look like when someone gets it shipped to them. And that's a whole other like mix of emotions of like how exciting that is, you know? Um, I imagine the other thing that had to be really crazy is when you got the final products shipped to you because you, you were there. I you you, you it, yeah, <laughs> I by your place. Yeah. And there was just like literally a giant pallet of boxes. Right. Of right. Figures. It was amazing. Yeah. It, it was, it's definitely like, it was, it's overwhelming. Cause you look in and you're like, Holy shit, what did I do? Because like, sure. You sold a Kickstarter's amount of figures and you ship them out. But what was really worrisome is what just happened on Thursday and Friday is that like, when these go live, is anyone going to buy this shit? Or am I stuck with all those boxes in the garage? <laughs> you know? Um, and luckily, like I've I've emptied and cut apart a lot of boxes because we're shipping and selling toys fine. But um, I guess what is even like because I understand how it works when like Mattel is shipping things like from Hong Kong and across the ocean and the ports and all of that. But what is it? How does this work for an individual like you that doesn't have like a shipping infrastructure? Right. Right. Set up. It's, um, it's, it's not as, as crazy as you'd think. It's, um, it's expensive. First of all, <laughs> like getting stuff, uh, shipped overseas from the factory here. And the main issue is whether you're going to over like send the stuff by boat, which is what every big company has to do. Mattel, anyone they're, they're shipping so much product. It has to go in containers on the boat, which is the reason why things get delayed. Cause they're stuck in customs. They're at the back of the boat, so they have to unload a bunch of other stuff so it can delay things. Like, you know, some people at Comic-Con don't get their exclusives because they're still stuck on the boat. Um, so what's good about having Mighty Maniacs is that in one box, I can have a hundred figures of something. And so we airshipped all of it. Like, it's legitimately just FedEx <laughs> airshipped from the factory. Wow. And so when they're done painting something, I get it to my doorstep in like three days and it's awesome. <laughs> so like that factory to the U S part, as, as long as like, you know, I'll get calls from, from customs and importing to figure out like what I'm doing. But once that stuff cl is cleared up, like I just get the stuff here. And then it was a matter of me just, you know, making sure my retail online shop is, is good to go. And uh, I just have these, these weekend parties by myself packaging you know throwing toys into bubble mailers or boxes and and getting the stuff out but um i'm also amazed at how quickly that can happen too like when i finally got everything and i was shipping out kickstarter stuff like i was i was like packaging like a hundred orders when it, within like a couple of hours and stuff so um if you have a system it's not bad at all because i was concerned about that i'm like how am I going to do all this by myself? And it's, it's whatever. If you have the time, you make it happen. How long was it from 
the finish of the campaign to actually getting the final toys in hand. So uh, what's cool is like from the get-go, I had always promised everyone August. So we're looking at like a 10-month timeline to have it all done. But in July is when I got my phase one figures in, which was the original wave of Johnny Tombstone, uh, Fireface, um, Fishstick, all the monsters. That's So I got all that stuff before because we had sent it in to be produced right away. So that stuff was ready, I think, way back in July. Um, and maybe even end of June. Um, so it's, if you look at it that way, you know, I think we got stuff done in like six or seven months. Um, crazy, but it, it was, it was really, especially for the fact that a lot of this stuff was still being designed after the Kickstarter, like brawlers and the robot, you know, that stuff didn't get submit till submitted till about a month or two after. So, you know, those were even on shorter timelines. Um, so the the experience has been good. Like, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen people, there's Kickstarters where someone ordered something and you've been waiting three years for the shit, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, most like entertainment Kickstarters. Just you, don't happen. They just don't happen. <laughs> right. You it's it's amazing when I opened up, when I opened my Kickstarter to like, support the campaign and buy it i had this like oh you've got these other six things i was like i don't have any memory of this and it was a bunch of web series short films i was like oh i gave money to a lot of people that just (laughs) went away right right i haven't so much as gotten an email from this person the the movie thing is always the the sketchiest because it takes so many people to make a movie um, that like that's so many gears. I think for me being successful in making and delivering stuff is solely by the fact that I'm one guy that people can yell at. You know, so I make sure that can't happen. Like it always comes. Well, I through. think this it, is going to sound so rude, and I have so many filmmaking friends, so I don't mean it in a bad way. <laughs> but I feel like when filmmakers and even like video game designers set out to do a Kickstarter, they're like, "Well, it'll be easy. We need twenty thousand dollars to make this." And then we'll like give everyone a shirt and they don't realize that then you need five grand to make the shirt. Oh my God. That's that the you worst. Then need to like, like no one ever really thinks about it like a business. Like you kind yeah. of said, I don't, you don't keep any of that. Oh, there is no overhead. There is no profit on a Kickstarter. It's all going to the product. And I think right. a lot of people mm-hmm. don't even think about like festival fees, the fee to get something else done, scoring the movie, a DP. And it's like, you need, so much money right Right. there's a there's a reason why like a low budget film is like still six million dollars you know it's not uncommon that uh people will kickstart a film and then just like pay themselves from the kickstarter while they're making the film Right, right. They're like, this is to cover my living costs while I make a movie (laughs) for you all that you didn't ask for. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's just, uh, I feel like it's pretty amazing that, (laughs) (laughs) first of all, you're on the up and up. And right there, you're like better off than 90% of other Kickstarters. Uh, second, like you actually made a wonderful thing and completed it. Um, this is great. 
No, I, I appreciate it, man. I, I think that's the, that's the one thing that when I set, set out to do these is that like, I'm always concerned with like, I want to deliver before I tell them it's going to come. And I want it to be really good product. Like those are the only two things I'm ever concerned with. And it's, it's funny also seeing the amount of people that, that were like, man, I've gotten burned on so many Kickstarters. I just can't do another one. You know, so many people have that expectation to be let down. And so, um, yeah, coming through on it, like it, it feels good. Like, I think honestly, if, if I didn't make the product and it didn't work out, I'd have to refund everyone. Like, there's no way I could keep that money. Like that'd be crazy. Um, but we didn't have to, we have cool toys. (laughs) It all works out. If people didn't do the funding through the Kickstarter, some of these they can now buy either from your store or, or even through Big Bad Toy Store, right? Right, right. I think Big Bad Toy Store, I shipped them their units. They just got them a few days ago. So though anyone that bought on Big Bad should be getting their stuff soon. Um, you know, with Big Bad, like the, the shipping, I feel like is always, you know, really quick or or if it's a pre-order. You know, most people pre-ordered these, so they've been waiting and I'm hoping those come through quick. They still do have a few, but if there's stuff that isn't on there, then everything is on uh, rocomtoys.com. Or if you go to mightymaniacs.com, M-A-N-I-A-X, um, it'll take you straight to the the subcategory page of just Mighty Maniacs toys. Um, and they're, they're doing good. Like I, I released two new colorways that weren't on the Kickstarter. There's a glow in the dark version of the brawler and there's a new purple version of the monsters but another funny thing is we have plenty of upgrade kits which is the death jaguar head and the axe you can buy those just as a separate pack and then just pop them onto any of your figures you have so i know it's not fully the death jaguar colorway but it's still a way to get that really cool head sculpt Um, now for future mighty maniacs because i'm assuming you're going to continue on and make another wave of these. Yeah, yeah. I Well, the waves are going to keep coming with the current molds because there's so much to work with, with new paint designs, new plastics. Like, we can do clears and glitters and all kinds of stuff. So new waves will come in, in a sense of just seeing new color versions of these. But, yes, you're right. Like, I do want to make brand-new molds that are just, like, new figures. So would you go the Kickstarter route with that? Or... Do you think you could go straight through just with your store? I think I would be able to to just like sell Mighty Maniacs, like order them, build up some profit and use that to make the new ones. But I also love the idea of of testing a product before it comes out. Like, you know, if if I put up these new molds on a Kickstarter, I get to see firsthand if people care or not. Because if it doesn't fund or if it, I don't get there, then I'm just not going to make it. So I think just as a testing ground, I'll still do Kickstarter um, just to prove the concept. Like, uh, It's really fun, too, like for the community to rally behind. Like, I just did the uh, WWE ring. Yeah, yeah. And that one skyrocketed. So, you know, it was super slow at the beginning. And then. And it was so fun to go through that journey. And like yeah. watch it as it climbed and hit the different goals and like it's fun. Yeah, you, I, I you just get those figures free now, right? Like the doink and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, my only 
kind of wonder right now is what will wave two be? You know, I have some ideas of doing, I really want to keep the horror aspect alive. So how can we get more like ghoulish zombie type, like kind of emaciated? It's funny because the maniacs are very like beefed up and chunky. So how do you create a ghoulish vibe in that same silhouette and style? Um, but also I'd love to go medieval and, um, and do like a Johnny Tombstone um, thousands of years ago in the medieval ages and like what was the medieval Hellseer like, you know, so have like barbarian types and, and almost armored knights and, and kind of go into that range of stuff. But, uh, you know, that's just like a couple of genres. Like I just want to dig deeper and really think of something that can feel very iconic, but then also just bring enough difference to these figures because it's, if I just do another robot, it's like, how much is that really going to change up these figures from the robot I have already? Like, it's really about thinking of a unique mold to where the collectability and mostly the building of these figures becomes way cooler, you know? I was like, it kind of reminds me of uh, old Z-Bots where just like a new colorway breathes a new story and like genre out of it. Yeah. Because a lot of those figures were just like, here you go. Or even like back to like still more 90s video game stuff. If I hit Y, Ryu's a different color and suddenly the whole narrative changes. Yeah, I mean, just think of like Mega Man and how how many different styles you got just of changing the blue to a different color. Like you get a whole new right. thing. Honestly, as a kid, that's what I hated the most out of my Batman figures. Like I'm like, Batman's never in the Alps. Why is he in this snow outfit, you know? Why is he in a jungle? He lives in Gotham. Like, it's actually stuff that would make me furious, but I feel like at the same time, I'm going to be jumping into those same ideas and concepts, like, of making these these strange, like, Elseworld type things. But I think you've built an IP that uh, invites that more than, like, the billionaire in Gotham. Like, this is already such a, like, genre-bending world that you've built. Are there any other... Because like we talked about the big bright colorways, I brought up Nerf just because that's where my dumb brain goes. Yeah, yeah, no, totally those those colors. Yeah, but you also had the clear purple, like almost Game Boy Advance N sixty four controller, opaque one. Are there any other just like nostalgia comes from movies and TV shows and cartoons? Are there any other just colorway? like things you want to click into like that? Like, I don't know if those were the things that inspired you, but is there maybe some other type of vibe you've seen that you're like, I got to throw that in there. It's funny because I'm constantly uh, looking at my designs and trying to think up what these future colors and waves are going to be. And a lot of times people fall back on doing an homage to something that exists. So like they'll do purple and yellow and blue and make the Skeletor version because the hope is that like, oh, Skeletor fanatics are going to buy this no matter what. And it's something that I feel like I, I will do some homage stuff like that. Um, but I realized like how popular that pink Kickstarter exclusive monster was. Um, and just realizing that, hey, that's just like a rad color that attracted people. And I really want to dive into that more and just make shit that looks cool. It doesn't have to be like, oh, that's that's Super Mario, you know, like I want to avoid that stuff when I can. If it fits and it's just so cool, like, of course, I'll, I'll make something that is just kind of like a throwback to something. But 
I want to really dive into to like I have this rad robot mold now. What's the robot I want to see? Like, so I've been working on. I I love stuff that's like kind of that olive drab color, and it'll feel like a real military vehicle, and like almost how the Hydra Stomper was. Uh, in, right. In, in the what if? So like seeing my uh, robot mold in more of that military green and black and gray, like you know, it's not necessarily supposed to be a Hydra Stomper, but I feel like that inspiration and those colors will really bring the sculpt to life. And so uh, almost like how um, Japanese soft vinyl is done, it's about these beautiful colors and the materials. So like using clear PVCs and, and colors, I think the Fireface figure is one of the most popular ones. And, and it's because of that orange clear with opaque yellow paints, like you get so much dimension out of it. So I really want to play to the materials and the colors instead of, constantly just being like yeah this one's darth vader you know <laughs> right so outside of uh, mighty maniacs what's next for you in the toy world uh i was just talking it's it's funny how much this is like just consumed me where it's all been mighty maniacs because it's been my whole year but it's as the year kind of winds down you know I f we're going to come up on 2022 so soon and every year I've had a Kickstarter and this is the first year I didn't, you know, 2021 has been void of it because I've been working on production. But just the other day I was telling a friend, like, I would love to do a renegade Kickstarter that just comes out next month, you know, like drop, drop a new small vinyl toy. That's very simple and collectible. And like, I have a few characters that I used to illustrate uh, years ago and I've always wanted to make small vinyl toys of it. Um, and I would love to do that. Uh, one super fun project that will probably take a little more time and it probably won't be this year, but um, my friends run a podcast called Bad Friends. I did the intro music for it. So Bobby Lee and Andrew Santino, they have this comedy podcast together. Um, it's wildly popular. They have a huge fan base. And there's a sculptor by the name of Vandal that did these toy sculpts of those two comedians. And so I would love to... Um, take those sculpts and make them into real vinyl and like produce the toys for them. So, oh, that would be fun. Yeah. I think it would be really great. Uh, and I, I've, I've been chatting with the, the Vandal guy for a while now and um, he's on board and, and I think that'll be a really cool project uh, that is on deck. I just need to wrap my head around it and make sure it makes sense for everyone. And I talked to Andrew the other day and he, he's on board. It's just a matter of me working out the timeline. So yeah, bad friends, hopefully. Bad friends toys <laughs> soon. Um, where can people find you online? Um, both Twitter and Instagram is at Rocom, R-O-C-O-M. But for the toy audience, you'll find me at uh, Rocom Toys at, on Instagram. So that's at R-O-C-O-M-T-O-Y-S. And um, if you want to support, RocomToys.com. Uh, the shop is open and shipping. So Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll see you at PowerCon. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Of course, you can leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever else you find and listen to your podcast. And then follow us for more updates on Twitter and Instagram at HowDoYouFigurePC. I'm at, as always, Blake, and Justin is at Tournament of Nerds on Twitter. You can follow both of those accounts. I do a couple other podcasts. Hollywood already did it, which has several different movie podcasts, some featuring reboots, remakes, and sequels. Some pairing up the Marvel Disney Plus shows with a history of whatever genre that's in. And another one called You Can't Do That Anymore about movies that might have 
problems for a modern audience. We'll see you guys next week.